0: To Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we expand our pop culture horizons by exploring movies, music, television, and books that are new to us. I'm Tessa. I'm Sam. Joining us today is Emily of TV John. Hi, Emily. Well, hi. (laughs) Hi. We're so happy to have you with us today. You're kind of our, our TV guru. So we're so excited to talk to you about The Expanse which was a science fiction television show developed by Mark Fergus and Hawk Ospie for the Sci-Fi Network, although it eventually came over to Amazon. It's based on a series of novels by the same name by James S.A. Corey, which I have not read. Has anyone else here read those? No. OK, so we're just talking about the adaptation. I actually talked about this show a while back, like the like the third or fourth episode of Monkey, like years ago. I just talked about the first season. Um, so I'm so excited to talk about it with you all today.
1: It is the best little sci-fi show shot for $8 an episode. <laughs> it is the twin to the Canadian produced Western Winona Earp, which was Shot for $7.50 an episode. The difference between the two shows, other than the 50 cent production value, is that Amazon rescued the cool space drama and left the women to die. One could say they spaced them.
0: One could say that. I don't know if we would say that, but. I would. So I'm very excited because ever since I watched it, I wanted Sam to watch it. Uh, Just a brief summary. The Expanse takes place hundreds of years in the future when humanity has colonized the solar system. Mars and Earth exist in a state of Cold War with impoverished workers in the asteroid belt called Belters caught in the middle There's this new mysterious technology that appears, and these different characters from all these different factions must work together to uncover a conspiracy. Just as a note for our listeners, we watched the first two seasons of The Expanse, so we will talk about spoilers of those first two seasons, but we will not talk about anything past that point. But before we really dig into the show itself, I wanted to ask both of you, Emily and Sam, about your first impressions of the show and your previous history or knowledge of the show.
2: I didn't know too much about it, just because this was at a point where I was not watching sci-fi shows anymore. I I watched, you know, like Battlestar Galactica and like, not Warehouse 13, but um, Eureka, like stuff like that. But this is far more recent to me. Yeah, I didn't know that much about it and my first impressions of it are that I I liked certain storylines, I think, much 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 more than others. Like the Belter stuff I think is interesting, but I don't know that I necessarily love how it's done and I don't really like Thomas Jane's character all that much, which I believe he's a beloved character from the books, so I was like, "Oh, oh well,
1: I just want to point out that, you know, I I too have seen Battlestar Galactica as I know many people have. But one person who has not seen it is Tessa. Tessa's Katie Sackhoff knowledge comes from a lot of other places, up to and including her current space character, Bo Katan. Uh, mm. Which I mean, if you like Bo Katan, boy, do I have some good news about Starbuck. Um, <laughs> For you. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, what's really interesting about that, you also brought up Eureka and Warehouse 13. I watched multiple seasons of Eureka. And, and, you know, I never really watched Warehouse 13 because, the same reason I never finished Eureka. Because, you know, for a while there, sci-fi was trying to emulate that kind of blue sky USA characters live here, but sci-fi. Mm-hmm. that doesn't work for me <laughs> you know and so it was funny like you can see that evolution from Battlestar to those two okay let's try something different which is you know essentially the expanse which is I mean Battlestar is not very hard science at all I mean it's it's definitely more on the uh Trek side of things than the Star Wars side of things but it's I don't think it's anywhere near as hard sci-fi as The Expanse is, which is hard-ish.
0: What were your first impressions of the show?
1: Of The Expanse? Yes. Uh, it' pretty much the same as Emily's. Yeah, fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing because you know when you're used to certain kinds of sci-fi in your your TV, I think. Just speaking for myself. This is something different, and it took some adjustment for the most part. I like it pretty well, and I want to keep watching it. But this is not the kind of sci-fi I would want to read either. So
0: I do know that we have some listeners, like our friend Lazi, who loves the series of books.
1: Well, this is is a lot like cyberpunk, I think. As much as we talk about how hacker magic is a terrible trope, I prefer Mm -hmm. it to you telling me what's happening. (laughs) Don't just don't.
0: I am curious about the Battlestar Galactica comparisons because this is not the first time I've heard Sam make the comparison between the two shows, specifically about a character that we'll talk about later. I was going to say during this segment that the only show I know to compare it to would be Game of Thrones, even though that doesn't feel right to me, but the way that the show's kind of structured around like specific POV characters, and it's a lot about politics, that kind of was the connection for me but i'm not I, i'm not saying that to say it's the same as game of thrones but that's like the only reference point i really had for this show except sci-fi but i'm curious to know what you all think about the connections between this and other science fiction shows like battlestar galactica
2: when the stuff happens in the first like what like two episodes where the that ship that holden and and company are on explodes gets destroyed
0: remember the can't (laughs)
2: yeah (laughs) I definitely I was like oh are we are we doing a Battlestar Galactica kind of thing like I thought that was gonna kind of be obviously like the whole universe isn't you know it's not happening in exactly the same way but I thought maybe those characters would kind of vibe that way and then they did not and then they went and did war Mars stuff and I was like oh nope this is not this is not the same at all. <laughs> but for the first, like, I would say, like, couple of episodes after the can't exploded, I was like, oh, maybe we we are doing a a sort of BSG kind of thing with just these characters, which is not what they did. But but I still find I think that storyline and like the tendrils of it are the most interesting to me. Um, the Rosadante well
0: like, storyline,
2: yeah, I like I like on the average I like those characters the most. And then I like the Martian girl from the second season a lot. (laughs) Bobby Draper. The girl who lives. Yeah, I like her a lot.
0: And that was the person that you made the connection to Battlestar Galactica with, was Bobby Draper, the Martian Marine.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she's a little bit like Starbuck in that way. I have to say, Emily, did you... So Amos, the actor who plays him looks so much like the actor who plays Galen from... uh, Battlestar Galactica I was like this is not the same guy is it
2: no he does look a lot like him and it's very it it adjusts the the trying to adjust to it is like yeah a lot was a lot I was like oh interesting
1: they are two d- different characters and once again I think Tessa at some point you'll watch Battlestar so
2: oh I'm sure it'll be a monkey but, some but he's, a, for he's
1: sure. a fun little character
0: so is Amos <laughs> I love Amos <laughs>
2: I like him a
0: lot. <laughs> well, I'm excited to dig into this and we can kind of start making other comparisons to other other shows or other sci fi properties as we go along. But let's dive right in. Do we want to start with the characters or do we want to start with kind of the thematic elements of this? Maybe no. we should start with the characters. Since I we've mean, been talking I, yeah, about we're, them.
1: we're kind of already yeah. there. Yeah, and like
0: the thing about this show is that it is a very character driven show. Like there is a lot of plot, like you said, Sam. There is a lot of like, Okay, like in order to do this, we need to do these like sciency things, which is very hard sci-fi adjacent. I'm not going to call this hard sci-fi. It's not, you know, it's not
1: Is hard sci-fi like unfilmable?
0: Ah. Uh, no, hard sci-fi is Primer, which is a horrible movie. So,
1: um
0: but like, <laughs> I mean, but people like that. Like I I'm not going to like dump on people who like that. But like it's not this 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 show is not The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, but it is it does have a lot of those elements of like trying to talk about like well what would it actually be like in space? Like space is really dangerous. Like you could get killed in all these other ways. You know, what would the effect of space be on your body and like, you know, all of this stuff that you normally get with hard sci-fi. We're not asking these questions in Star Trek. Like that's not something that Star Trek is interested in. But we do no. get that in this show quite a bit. But you don't like hard sci-fi, Sam.
1: No, I don't. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, I know space can kill me. You don't have to remind me about that (laughs) all the time. I will wait for For All Mankind, which makes me care about that. For now, I'm much more concerned about the eight-foot-tall ice walker space proto-dude.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs)
1: Like, that's... that's, Come on.
0: (laughs) What about you, Emily? How do you feel about kind of the hard sci-fi elements of this show?
2: Interesting. I I don't know that I was necessarily expecting whatever amount of hard sci-fi there is. I I guess I knew that the books existed and they're kind of chonky, so I figured there was probably some attempt at doing some kind of hard sci-fi, but I I was like, "Hmm. Okay. I guess this is what we're doing." I don't I also don't necessarily love super super hard sci-fi. I like having a a pretty easy concept of how things work without needing to have a science degree to actually <laughs> understand what what is going on. I very firmly sit in the Star Trek land or the Battlestar Galactica where there's some semblance of, yeah, this is how it works. And you're like, mm, I guess. Sure.
0: And I think this show, in my opinion, the show I think actually does a pretty good job of balancing both. I mean, I think maybe there are a lot of hard sci-fi elements that some people don't like, but for the most part, it's like, here's our hard sci-fi, but also we're really invested in the characters and like what they're doing and all of that stuff.
1: Um, All I'm saying is when Matt Damon said they were going to, he was going to science the shit out of things. (laughs) Like he took me on a, he, he made it enjoyable for me. Yeah, I
0: understand. I understand. It's not,
1: it's not just, it's not just how the potatoes are grown. But
0: (laughs) is the secret ingredient love? Oh wait, that's a different sci-fi film. No, it was not.
1: (laughs) The secret ingredient to those potatoes was not love. It was poop. (laughs)
0: Uh, Okay, well, let's talk about the characters since we like them so much. So, uh, I we'll just start with Joseph Miller, since Thomas Jane, I think, is one of two people who were like recognizable names, I guess, at the beginning of this show. What do we think about Joseph Miller? As a character. He is our cop, private eye, noir.
1: He definitely I I would like to nominate him for the Momble Award for Stupidest Hair.
2: (laughs) Oh, so bad. Also, he certainly does have a hat.
1: I know why he has that hat too. I I know (laughs) why he was given that hat. He was like, they were like, please, please.
2: Oh, the scene where in the second season where he cuts his hair again. Made me laugh, so I was like, "Why are you doing this?" Don't, why are you don't do that? your hair. Let's
1: see if you can make it worse, pal.
2: He did both sides. I think it was bad. Yeah, he went full mohawk in the second season. Yeah, I I don't like him. Okay, I don't like him. I don't like his storyline. I don't I don't like him. I was glad when he was gone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Oh.
0: Well, it's funny because I don't think Sam liked him very much either until the second season, like the last part of the first season and the second season, where you were like, well, now he's got an interesting
2: storyline.
1: Now he had, well, once he was part of the crew,
2: he's more interesting. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah, he does spend most of the
0: first season by himself on Series Station. where he, So he's a belter, yeah. but he's working for like an Earth.
1: Well, I I told you, Tessa, I was a little saddened when I realized, I mean, I understood what was going on, and then I was a little saddened by it, that this is like team building from a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you've got, Holden is your, like, main character. You're going to have him. That's just him, right? And you're going to have characters who, for the most part, are like the main squad, although they might disappear. Which could be a game twist, they could leave and come back. And then you have characters who join and you're like, oh, this is my new favorite. Two scenes later, they're gone. Or they might stay with you the whole time. Like, that's just the way that game series has always worked. And once I realized that's what we're doing here, that was okay. I still he's not gone. He's not don't gone. Think so. No, he's not gone.
0: Because of the proto molecule, you think he's still no? Alive? Because it's
1: Thomas Jane.
0: Okay. I uh,
1: I don't know if you know this, Tessa, but outside of the world of stories, there are like, and I, and I think I think Emily's a little aware of this. There are things that go on, and they I believe they call it behind the scenes.
2: But I've heard of that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Another
1: word I've heard is production, <laughs> and that there are things that happen before, during and after production. All right. So he's not gone. He's not gone.
2: <laughs> I do want to say as soon as I started watching the show, like I think I made it two episodes in, I was then the internet knew. I was inundated with the the final book coming out or like the new versions of the books coming out. I kept getting ads for it. And I guess they're doing a comic like continuation in the vein of like Buffy. Or something, and I kept getting Kickstarter oh, ads for it. I was like, how do you how did you know that I'm watching this show?
0: <laughs> the internet is a scary place. They know everything now. I think that the things that I associate the most uh with Joseph Miller in terms of thematic elements is there's definitely a noir twist to his story in the first season, which obviously kind of goes away after after he leaves the show, which he does spoiler midway through the ha- the second season. But also it was funny rewatching the first season because we had just done November last uh last November and watched Laura which I hadn't seen before and as soon as I started rewatching this first season I was like, "Oh, this is Laura." Like he's doing this where the 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 cop falls in love with the picture of the of the supposed murder victim. And so I don't know how I feel about that. The romance lover in me is like, yes, like this is great. But at the same time, it does take him a while, I think, to develop a personality besides disgruntled cop.
1: I just think it's interesting that they really mirrored the plot of the film Laura so much because, I, you know, I got to say it was a bold move for the movie to end with the two of them being rammed into Venus and being perhaps.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is proto. hilarious. Like that's yeah. like
1: for a movie from the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. I don't know where to go with that. I think I I think I left the punchline way back there.
0: Yeah, but yeah, the idea that he like falls in love with Julie Mao. Well, he, like everyone says he's in love with her, but then he's just like I believe in her. So it's like is she just inspirational to him or is he he actually in love with her? Does he know the difference between the two emotions? I don't know.
2: It's a little bit of a mess.
0: It'd be nice if Julie Mao actually had a perspective on the show too. Oh, wouldn't
2: that be nice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I think the the like Yeah, I think it just takes him I I do like him more when he's on the crew because then he has like people he's bouncing off of. He has a dynamic with people with the actual people who also have personalities. And I I, I think the romance thing is like it's weird like I think if I liked him more before that reveal, like if I felt more connected to him as a character before that reveal, I think I would care more about that idea. And so when mm-hmm. when it happens and like he meets her with the proto molecule molecule stuff and and he like eventually dies and all that stuff happens, I'm like, yeah, I could have cared about this. I don't know that I totally do, but I could have cared much more. Yeah.
1: I don't know how much I I question I mean I guess it worked out in the best possible way but I question the narrative pacing of the first season I think the best they could do was focus on him because you can't really grab a hold of that crew until the midway through the first season you can't grab hold of Christian and friends until the second season And we don't even get our Martian girl until season two. It reminds me actually, Emily, I don't know if you saw any of the night agent. No, that just came out this week on Netflix It's Sean Ryan's new show. Mm -hmm. And what made me think of it is he was doing an interview and, you know, he was afraid about working with Netflix because of all the reasons that you should be afraid of working with Netflix. And He basically said, I ended up with a really good note. This has a secret service subplot element that's really big in it. But if you bring it into the pilot, there's too much happening. So he put it in episode three instead. So like there's a whole nother, there's a whole arc that doesn't even start until episode three. And that's kind of the approach this show took with a much longer approach. It was like, we're not going to give you, you know, let's say there's like four storylines running through this show. We're going to give you this many here. We'll tie in this one here. You're not even going to get the last one until season two.
0: Season one is very much feels like an origin story, proof of concept for the crew of the Rosinante, who we should definitely talk about here in a minute. Season two is very interestingly structured. We talked about this while we were watching it because it's almost like two mini seasons. Like the first half of Mm -hmm. the season is them dealing with Eros, right? Which was the cliffhanger from season one. And then the second half of the season is them dealing with Ganymede, which is like the other big like disaster that happens in the midpoint of the season. And, you know, there's different things the characters are even doing different things in both halves of the season. Like, um, if Eros pulls them together, then the second half of the season is them like trying to figure out what that means, um, to actually work together and like how how are they changing each other? Which I think is it's an interesting choice. I'd be interested to see if that structure continued into like season three for an example. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the crew of the Rosinante, because I think they're all our favorite parts. And like I said, the first season is very much about like how these people come together and become a family, because that's my favorite. And they actually say that at the end of the second season, which is like, I, I love it. I love Chosen Family storylines. Uh, but we have uh, James Holden, um, who is, as Sam pointed out, as close to a main character as I think that we have, played by Steven Strait. He is he is the
1: rootness, tootness, face cowboy <laughs> Mormon of them all.
0: Yeah, he is from an extremist Mormon family who raised him to uh, extremist. I'm sorry, extremist poly Mormon family who raised him to basically be an anti-government leader. But then he left at some point, he left Earth at some point and sort of drifted around the belt until he got embroiled in this situation. What do we think about James Holden and his character arc in this series?
2: Well, until until I kind of shifted around in season two and other people popped up. In comparison between him and like Joseph Miller, I was like, yeah, I like him the most. And it's not just because I love Stephen Strait, I don't think, because I do love Stephen Strait. But I think he's interesting. He's very like, it, he's weird because he is both on the trajectory towards or seemingly on the trajectory towards eventually potentially becoming a captain or like whatever he's trying to do, I think. But also because of the events of what happens when he like, you know, actually leaves the thing on and then the ship explodes and all that. He is also thrust into having to be a leader, I think way earlier than he wanted to. And in a capacity he, I don't think expected, which is sometimes kind of boring. But I think mostly pretty good. And I think Stephen Strait is good.
0: I think it's interesting because in the first couple episodes, even before we know his background, it's like very established that he does not want any responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll be the XO for your ship or whatever. But, like, I, I'm not going to be the captain. I'm not going to, you know, I just want to live my life and do my thing and, like. You know, it's very much like the child rebelling against what their parents want, right? But then it's almost like once the cant explodes, he, like, snaps back into that, like, personality. Like, it's almost like that survival mode he ends up taking over, even though, like, none of these people trust him yet. Like, he just sort of, like, barrels his way into it. But he earns their trust over, like, the course of the seasons, right? Like, they're... They very much see him as this leader, and I think also it works for him because the Rocinante is independent in a lot of ways. It doesn't; it is a Martian ship technically, but it do, they don't work for Mars, they don't work for Earth, they don't even work for the Belt. And I think for him, that's very attractive as a character to sort of do what he thinks is right instead of, you know, like following orders, you know, of somebody else. I think for him maybe being a leader in that context is more attractive than being a leader say like in the Earth Navy or whatever.
1: You know I you 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 are aware I do not buy the thing between him and Naomi, right? I know you do. <laughs> I I know. Here here's I know two things about this character cuz the show told me. He doesn't want to be in charge and he likes this girl. He likes this girl so much. He will endanger the whole crew because she taught him to do the right thing for the right reason, despite the fact that he doesn't want to be in charge and have that responsibility. This girl, who dies five minutes later, caused him to change a core piece of his character. And so he's just going to carry on with somebody else two episodes later. It's right. like
0: most of a season. It's not even until season two.
1: What? No, it's not. No, no
2: it is. Takes no. a little while. They have like a weird. It was the them,
1: next yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> they were throwing looks at each other. Do not tell me I'm wrong.
2: <laughs> he um, I as you were saying, sort of saying that, it kind of reminded me. He has like a weird Star Lord quality to him too, in that capacity, <laughs> and it's very, it's very weird. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know that I love that. But yeah.
0: I will say, though, too, that sometimes I think I like the way that he interacts with other characters more than I like him as a character. Like the scenes with him and Miller are like some of the best, like them trying to get off arrows together are some of the best scenes on the show. Um, The scenes between him and Naomi are really great. The scenes between him and Amos are really great. Like, it's almost like I like what he draws out of other characters. Like he's like... Uh, Amos calls him righteous, like, or as close to righteous as you can get. And I think that 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 element brings out some interesting things from characters that are, like, morally, more morally gray, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk about Naomi. So Naomi also comes from the cant. She is their engineer, fixer, who knows, She she's what did she say? Her expertise is is, uh,
1: she is the resident MacGyver.
0: Yeah, she (laughs) is. She is the resident MacGyver. She's played by Dominique Tipper. What do we think about Naomi?
2: I liked her by the end of season two quite a bit. Like that back half of season two, I think really works for me for her. Like the stuff where they are on that ship where they're trying to like bring people onto the ship when the station is closing or whatever. That stuff really worked for me. I generally like her, but I was like, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with you until they kind of yeah. bring more stuff in when they go to the belt and they do all this other stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I kind of think I know what you're doing, and I, I like it.
1: She's the character who is whatever the show needs her to be at that time. Yeah. Until, as you pointed out later in season two when james becomes the character who is whatever the plot needs him to be at that time it's like they trade yeah. i mean i don't i mean i i don't know i i think about the fact that we've come very very far from this entire ship except for james and his girlfriend who got blown up they were all like no no don't report this distress signal don't report it and then he ended up on a ship with four other people, one of whom soon died. And then it was like they're just gonna be okay with the fact that he's responsible for them getting blowed up and they're gonna forget about it. And when I think about that, I'm like, I don't understand how we got here.
0: But do you like where we got?
1: Sure. With these characters. Yeah, I mean yeah. I think they I think they overdid it at the beginning of season one. I think there are a lot of problems with this show that can be traced back to the first half of season one, and they course corrected.
0: Of course, when you get Naomi, you can't you can't get Naomi without getting Amos, which <laughs> their dynamic is like one of my favorite things in the show from the very beginning. I was kind of obsessed with their dynamic because Amos is our resident maybe sociopath um, who has glommed onto Naomi as possibly his conscience. Um, he will pretty much do anything that she tells him to do. She is like the decision maker in his life.
2: I love this man.
0: <laughs> he is great.
2: <laughs> I I the entire time when I finally it took me actually a little while to come around to him, but when I finally did, I was like, "Ah, he reminds me of if Jane and Firefly didn't suck."
0: Yeah, that is absolutely right. I didn't even think about I was that. Like, ah, yeah.
2: Yes. I love him. And I think season I I do think season two is like much more interesting than season one overall for most of these characters, if not all of them. And I think his arc, especially with Naomi, when they're on the ship and like them doing all of that stuff together when they're I can't even remember the name of that ship, the one that they're trying to like bring all the people on and they're like
0: no don't weeping synambulus which is great yeah i would not have remembered that
2: (laughs) that is good (laughs) um but like that whole like episode two episode situation i was like yeah this rules and i like this tension i think his relationship with naomi is incredible i do think his relationship with alex is really fun but there are other issues with alex that we'll talk about later yeah i love i love this man and I'm excited for him.
1: If you need somebody to take a space bullet for you, find Amos. Because if he doesn't take it for you, he's going to take it for somebody else by the end of the scene. So it might as well be you.
0: I did like how they made fun of that at the end of the season where they were like, why am I the one always getting shot? I think Alex even says that. Why are you shot again? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you two think about the moral conflict that Amos seems to be having, especially in season two, because he is the one who figures out I how to get. Don't think the, he
1: has a moral compass.
0: Well, that's the question. Is like, does he? Because by the end of the season, I think one of the most heartbreaking things he says is to Naomi at the end of that season after they get off the ship, where he she apologizes to him for like knocking him out basically, and he apologizes to her and he says, "I've just been trying to make some of my own decisions lately, but I seem to be making all the bad ones." Which to me, I was just like. Oh, Amos, like, I'm so sorry. I mean, is he a sociopath? Is he just someone who grew up in a rough situation? Like, all the hints about his past are fascinating to me.
1: Space Villanelle.
2: Space villain I think of almost every character other than the Martian girl. I am so interested in whatever is going to happen with him moving forward into the next like four seasons and like whatever that storyline is going to be i think he I, I don't know what's going on with him and i i want to know
1: do you ever think we're gonna get the roberta and amos super friends happy hour i
2: would love that That'd be great. i would
0: love to see a scene with the two of them
1: and by super friends happy hour i mean first they punch the crap out of each other and then they're best friends <laughs> and then they're best
0: friends yeah I will also say that the scene where Holden and Naomi tell Alex and Amos that they're together and and they're like worried about what Amos is gonna do is like one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, especially where he says, No, she's like my sister. I mean I'd have sex with her if she let me and then she like leaves the room. It's it's great. Finally, part of the main Rosinante crew is Alex Kamal played by Cass Anvar. Boo. It, for those of you who don't know, Cass Anbar was definitely involved in a sexual harassment scandal with Ubisoft. He voices a character with Ubisoft. There was a whole lot of allegations against him. In fact, um this is kind of a spoiler, but I mean, I don't think it's much of one since I don't know how it happens. I do know that Cass Anbar's character is written off by the end of the la- or before the last season begins. Putting that aside. <laughs> what do we think of alex kamal
2: well this man until i discovered that which wasn't until halfway through season two i was just kind of bopping around and i was like <laughs> my friend mentioned it and i went oh no alex- I-, I hate it when that happens it's, uh, yeah, yeah it was, i was like what alex was one of my favorite characters i really i i thought he was very interesting especially in the first season when everybody seems like to be doing weird stuff but i think his like Oh, it was a Martian. Like I'm a Martian and like I'm doing Navy stuff. Like he's like weird and folksy and fun. And I I don't know. Like I really I he's funny and I find I found him very like fun and interesting. And now I am checked out of his character. So that's neat.
1: <laughs> uh first of all, it's it's Alcon Entertainment that he was with. It's he was part of the Assassin's Creed franchise, but it wasn't ubisoft directly oh, I ubisoft guess ubisoft
0: had like a scandal maybe well, oh,
1: oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did and he is he is the voice of altair which is one of the bigger characters i just wanted to like just to clarify just to clarify didn't, ubisoft didn't just have one problem let's be yeah. real clear here anyway i mean he's a fun character I mean, like he is, as I said, he is the rootness, tootness, space cowboy this side of the Andromeda, Milky Way, (laughs) Orion's Belt. I don't know. Whatever folksy thing you want to (laughs) say. It's kind of a funny bit.
0: I think it's funny that.
1: And he makes lasagna in a weird pan. (laughs) Okay. I
0: like do love how he makes them all sit down for like family dinner at the beginning of season two and makes them
1: sit down for family dinner on the table the 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 two of them have the amos and uh miller have just like broken because they fought
2: yeah
0: and then miller becomes part of the family by sitting down at the table and talking about cheese because
1: you know this is how family works
0: (laughs) I do think it's funny. And I mentioned this before we started recording that. So like Amos and Holden are earthers. Naomi is a belter. And then Alex is our Martian. There are no there is no continuity when it comes to accents. No. In this, like at all. I mean, the belters do have their own language, which I think is interesting. But like. Alex has this, like you said, like very country, very Western accent, uh, Bobby, but has a New Zealand accent. And like, I mean, it's cool that they just let these people use their like normal accents. It's just very funny to me that it does not make sense at all in terms of like, we do get a addition to the crew at the end of season two. Like Sam said, I'm not sure how permanent he's going to be in terms of staying on the Rossinante. um, but we do get Prax. Um, at the end of season two, on the crew, helping them out. Um, he is a botanist from Ganymede Station, and I really love that they keep talking about him. What do they call him, the plant doctor? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What did we think about Prax, briefly, searching for his daughter?
2: I think he's fun. I'm interested to see if he's going to stay or what's going to happen with him. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that um, I'm a person who, when I when I get into something, I then look up what's going on in, on like AO3 in fan fiction world. And I will say that Prax and Amos is top five ships over there. There's not a lot of fan fiction, oh. but they are there. And I was like, interesting. What's happening. <laughs> what's going on. So
0: that is interesting. I can see it. Yeah. I, was I can like, read it. Okay. Cool. Amos does seem to like him. Like it is really interesting how quickly they like connect <laughs> as characters.
1: What, yeah. what you doing?
0: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> what you doing? Um. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, but I I mean, he doesn't do like crazy, like a crazy amount, but I think he's very charming and I hope he finds his daughter.
1: You know what I hope? I hope he eventually tells somebody that like a space genocide happened in front of his face.
2: Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was brutal.
0: That was very disturbing
1: that I don't like. Are we going to come back? Are we going to circle back to the fact That, that, that basically we had a short reenactment of inglorious bastards. I mean, that's what it was. It was like, your people did mean things to us. Bye. Yeah.
0: That was very disturbing. In a refugee situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Rosanante. There are a few other characters who have main storylines. One is of course Christian Avrasala, who's played by Shorey ag whose voice I will always love. Like I I don't even think she has to do anything on any show. Like I just want her to be there and say lines. But I actually really like her character on this show. Yeah. Despite the fact that she's kind of set up in the beginning of the first season as being a villain, and oh. like she is a morally gray character, I mean, during both seasons, but she's not quite as villainous uh, in the second season as she is set up to be. Listen,
1: those of us who have seen 24, we know. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm already there. I got it.
0: What did you think of Christian? Or what the, do you think?
1: Sandra, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She's doing this character again. I I mean, like, I've known her for a long time. Like, I mean, I know your biggest connection with her is that that game.
0: Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: But I mean, like I, you know, like I saw a House of Sand and Fog in the theater, what twenty years ago? So like it's, I, you know, it's like, have I ever been able to pronounce her name? No, but I know who she is. I know that oh, she voice. Like one of the most. Recognizable I would recognize voices. that voice anywhere, and I always like it when she's involved. But she's always, she's never gonna be a white hat, and and that might not be fair. Or maybe that's the way she wants it. I don't know.
0: I just like that she's given so much to do on this show. Like, I mean, I haven't seen that season of 24 and I haven't seen House of Sand and Fog. So what I'm usually seeing her in is like bits and pieces or like she's a background character or something like that. And the fact that she's like a lead on this show, I think is for someone who is older, who you know is kind of outside of like that normal hollywood casting type i just i love it and i love her outfits too
2: good fashion and i think she's interesting i also have not seen any of 24 and only really know her from mass effect stuff so i'm just like i love you and and (laughs) i'm ready i'm ready for your moral ambiguity baby (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, she. I mean, the other thing too about this character uh, of, of of Christian is this is a stock character. This is the stony faced woman in the government hierarchy who has to be. She has to be a bitch, basically, because if she's not, I mean, this is this is Mary McDonnell from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I mean, almost every show's got one. Cherry Jones often plays her in 24, among other places. Penny Gerald Johnson also played that role in 24. Let's see. Did anybody else do it in 24? I'm sure there are. But I mean, it, I'm trying to think of other shows where this character exists. But I mean, it's it's regularly a character. And then, and then that's why Madam Secretary worked as a show, because Ta Leone did the opposite. Gotcha. You see.
0: I do think Christian's interesting from that perspective because I think you're right. Like the way that she has to act is often very like brusque and kind of, you know, like you said, stone faced and so on. But she does it. The character is complicated by the fact that she is very femme, which is not something you normally see in this character. Right. And she also she has this quality where people underestimate her like right up until she like takes their lunch, basically. Um, which is a character trait that I always enjoy. Like I always like I, she even says it at one point, like I, I play the part of the old woman who's like playing yesterday's game. So that way people underestimate me. And um, she's very brusque. I will never get tired of her telling people to fuck off or, you know, shut the fuck up, which is great. But yeah, so she's playing the UN because the UN is in charge of Earth, Um, one of the UN undersecretaries. We can't,
1: but but wait, there's more.
0: We can't, we can't finish our list of characters. There's so many characters we could not possibly get through all of it's them. It's a space but opera. We can't finish our list. Yeah, it's a space opera in some ways. Um, we can't get through our list of characters without talking about Martian girl, Martian marine girl, who is introduced in at the beginning of season two. In fact, she's the like the first scene of season two is introducing her um roberta draper bobby who's played by frankie adams with her lovely new zealand
2: accent
1: yeah i think it's really weird that don draper's son became a a a girl martian marine
2: <laughs> well they had so many actors who played bobby so you know it's it, it makes sense. oh
1: thank you for picking that yeah. up that was great that was a good they had, like, good for you three different
2: actors <laughs> that was play good. that kid anyway <laughs>
1: knew there was something there but
2: <laughs> bobby uh rules and i love her i i will also <laughs> say i didn't uh i <laughs> while the actual stuff where they're like doing the like the thing where she's with her entire platoon and they go to the surface and the stuff i was like i don't care about this what is happening i don't care yep. and then once everybody died and she's going through the like okay what's actually happening what are we say the politics of what happened what didn't happen i was like yeah this is good i like this part
1: (laughs) i would rather burn my retinas than be like you (laughs) i i I admire that energy i'm like yeah you you pop that window oh 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 okay nothing's broken all right it's still good it's still good you're gonna talk to whoops okay that turned out all right too oh just give all your drugs okay this is fine Oh, enjoy- look, you made it to the most polluted part of the ocean in the whole world. <laughs> Woo! Her,
2: her giving her drugs, just being like, yep, you can, a you can just take all these. That's fine. I don't need them. It's totally chill. Um, and then...
1: Which is not true. Is not
2: true at all. Um, and then her, I was like, please don't jump in the ocean. You're going to die from contact. Yeah.
1: This is. I did say to Tessa, by the way, I was like, she's pulling a little mermaid. Somebody <laughs> give her a tingle hopper quick. She Other, wanted to be where the people were. She
0: did. She did. I will say there are there's a lot of great moments with her, but my two favorite moments in the entire show with her is the one where she finally beats up that okay boomer chaplain captain who keeps talking about how your generation is like soft and we used to like have drills under our desks. And like I was like, wow, this is like really not nuanced about what they're talking about like they just made they straight but, up just made a boomer character uh, like saying stuff like which, that. which
1: by the way i just want to point out in the 2010s we used to have drills it's not the it's not the first of all <laughs> let's talk boomer <laughs> if you hide under your desk and the nuclear bomb happens you're toast you know who really has to hide under their desk? Every single child today.
0: Yeah. So like, it's just <laughs> that moment where she just punches him and it's just like not going to listen to his bullshit anymore is great. But my other favorite is her dieharding her way through the air ducts at the in the season finale where she's like trying to get to her power armor.
1: Yeah, she was, she was, she was master chiefing it up. Yeah. Yeah, she was, this, this was, this was a Halo thing.
0: It was great. I, I can't wait to
2: see what they do with her character. Better than the Halo TV um, show
1: well Absolutely. how could it not be
2: god i reviewed that show show bad
1: oh you oh i'm sorry
2: we were, we were very <laughs> excited about it because my boyfriend loves halo and like made me play all of them and i like them ah, now and okay. then we watched the show and i was like i guess I'm. so
1: this is like the witching hour <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs>
1: why did they make bad shows emily why
2: Do they make bad shows? This is a great question. Good question. Um, I wish that everything that wasn't great (laughs) could just be mediocre, but some of it has to be bad, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but so much of it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I feel
1: like, I don't know.
0: So I definitely want to (laughs) transition into talking about some of the major themes of the show, but I can't leave without talking about my other favorite character, who apparently becomes a main character at some point found out which I'm very excited about Uh, who Kamina drummer Kara G aka the very hot very mean assistant her Johnson her drummer
1: becomes a main character you say she does (laughs) (laughs) all right
0: I'm like every time I see her on screen I'm like so hot so mean like true (laughs) yeah
1: I'm ready to go watch season three now. Yeah, let's you're go like, do when that. When did this
0: happen? Like, I want to see her again.
1: She's much better than Fred Johnson. Yeah, who is boring? Make boring person. Oh look, I have a complicated. Bo- no, you don't. Be quiet.
0: That, I said this to Sam like halfway through the second season. I admire any show who, after their first season, when they start adding more characters, is like, "Fuck it, we're not going to have any new white characters. It's going to be all people of color." Like good job expanse good job on your diversity what you
1: have you have one that's how many you need right that's what you've been telling us forever
2: (laughs) i did also want to mention that jared harris is randomly in the show and (laughs) yes doing (laughs) doing (laughs) a south african accent question mark
1: coming coming back to madman i said to tessa man i hope he doesn't commit suicide
2: (laughs) yes yes (laughs) uh (laughs) keep him away from ropes um yeah, I <laughs> what a man. Every time he showed up I was like, What is this voice? What is going on? All right. Sure.
0: All right then. All right.
1: Some capital A acting.
0: Correct. <laughs> <Greg. laughs> All right, let's talk about some of the themes of the show because this show does want to talk about a lot of things. We already mentioned the noir stuff from season one, which again, got, kind of goes away with with Joseph Miller's character. But obviously the big tension in the show is this Cold War that is happening between Mars and Earth. The idea that Mars at some, at, was a colony, at some point broke away from Earth, and now they have this mutually assured destruction. But it is like the engine that drives a lot of the things that happen in the show. I haven't seen a Cold War plot line like this since like watching like 80s early 90s stuff
1: do we know if elon musk actually is responsible for the martian colony in this show
0: i god i hope not their technology is too good too
1: good fair yep fair i don't know there's all kinds of serious places i could take this i just don't want to (laughs) i mean it's a little bit like like the the engine that gets discovered like the 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 dude who accidentally speeds himself to death.
0: You know, it's funny because it's actually called something in the show, but all I can think about it is the Zephyrin Cochran and warp drive because it is literally that story, yeah. but in the expansion, but, he dies from it. Well,
1: but that's that's a little like Sputnik, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's, they got something first and now America has to catch up and they completely keep one upping each other. It's like the Cold War if the Soviet Union hadn't sucked so bad. I mean, they did. I didn't say anything now. <laughs> I'm not being mean to you now. <laughs> if I wanted to I'd say something about Ukraine, but I right. didn't,
0: you know. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a parallel. Yeah. You get the belters who are in the middle. <sighs> that's true. Right? Mhm. Anyway, sorry.
2: Continue. Oh, uh, no, I was just going to say speaking of that little story from that episode that's like detached but like is like, you know, telling a past mm-hmm. passing. I kinda wish they had done more of that. Not that like it would have Helped the pacing in any capacity, but like <laughs> I thought that was f- fun, and I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I, anything else? And no,
1: that was another thing to go back to a show I just watched called The Night Agent, now on Netflix from Sean Ryan. Uh, <laughs> The Shield is one of my favorite shows. Okay, I'm gonna rep for this guy anyway. The point is, every cold open is a flashback to something that's happened before. And so that way the you get the the you can keep moving the story forward but have a designated time that is separated by a title card, you know, that fills in more context. They could have kept doing that, but of course as you I'm sure you noticed, the cold opens disappeared halfway through season 2. Yep. Seems like they ran out of backstory. Like they wanted to do that. They just ran out of fun ideas.
2: Yeah, I was shocked when the opening credits just started eventually. I yeah. was like, oh, oh
1: okay. I'm Well, it. it's that first time it's like, oh, shit's real. No cold open. It's real. It's going down. And it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then after that, we never went back. And it's like, ah, uh, mm-hmm. you guys. Yeah. Come on, did 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 sci-fi cut your budget midway through? They did, didn't they?
0: So some of the other stuff that comes out in this, of course, is this sort of tension between technology and like does technology make our lives better? Does it make it worse? Is it just new and inventive ways of killing each other? There's also a lot about class in this too. I mean, you do get the belters who clearly represent this uh, sort of cheap labor that is exploited by both Mars and Earth because both both planets don't have the natural resources anymore or in Mars's case ever to sustain life. And so they are sort of mining the asteroid belt for like water and, you know, things like that. Um, And so you do get these really interesting critiques of the idea that when when I think Naomi even says this when Mars and Earth fight, it's the belters who actually die what did you all think about that sort of positioning of these three factions?
2: Like, I think it's effective to the degree that it needs to be effective. And I think that like, it's, it's good that we have people, you know, from in in our, in that crew. But I also think that like, that stuff only the Belter stuff, I think with Naomi comes up more often, but like Alex seemingly stops mentioning being Mm -hmm. a Martian and like it, he kind of effectively he is mm-hmm. but he effectively is not politically anymore and he isn't generally but like he has apparently no thoughts on on what they're doing i i don't know i'm just like i it, it's useful when it comes up but i don't feel like it's at least like how the belt comes into it it's like focused in the in the first season and parts of the second but i don't think it's as sustained as like the fight between mars and earth specifically
1: the show wants us to care about it but the show doesn't care about it it's a lot like game of thrones what does the average person in this world think about the game of thrones answer they don't right now the Belters hate everybody because everybody's done them wrong. The Martians hate the Earthers because the Earthers did them wrong. The Earthers hate their government because their government did them wrong. And that's all. And we will visit one of those things every 3 episodes. Right. Yeah.
0: I think part of the problem too is that the Belters don't really have a compelling character outside of Naomi.
1: What they just you just said to- you just said Fedora was a good re- Jared Harris,
0: come on, Jared I'm Harris. Jared Harris no, I was gonna say, I wonder if that's why drummer is an angry more girl a, main a belter.
1: What? Is an angry girl a belter? Yeah, drummer. Okay,
0: I maybe that is why she becomes okay, more okay, of a main okay, character okay. later. Because I don't know if at this point there are a lot of compelling. Well, characters. Amos is He's, no, Amos he's is. an earther. Yeah. He just hangs out with me, um. <laughs> so it, it does get a little confusing.
1: Well, she is, right? Yeah, Naomi is. Okay.
0: Yeah, so there's like this interesting thing. And there's actually another element in this (laughs) that I find more interesting, but they refuse to dig into, which is, what is the role of these corporations in all of this? Because really, what we find out is that- uh, The Dharma
1: Initiative strikes again. (laughs) It's the Dharma (laughs) Initiative- in space <laughs>
0: yeah it turns out that jules mao who owns this corporation you know the big bad corporation is actually kind of behind all of this stuff and he's just selling the protomolecule which we can talk about um to both earth and mars you mean
1: right? the the mcguffin molecule the
0: mcguffin molecule yes yeah but they keep not digging into it they want to talk about like the rossinante and christian and all of their reactions to what happens but there's not a lot of at least so far there's not a lot of analysis of what like the way in which these corporations are clearly pulling the strings wait, 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 and making wait, wait, wait. everybody fight each other
1: did you just say they're spending more time with Christian than they are with the doc with the with the 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 head science dude behind the corporation this is literally lost again. I understand. It is exactly lost. <laughs> Spend less time with that person, more time with this person. You got a better show.
0: I'm just curious because, like, clearly class inequity is something that is very important in this particular world. But we don't even get to see, like, the plight of what's going on on Earth, like, outside of the UN building until, like, most of the way through season two.
1: Don't care.
0: I mean, we could also talk about mad I mean, scientists and extraterrestrial life, which is both things that this show also wants to tackle.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, right? right? This show's got too much stuff going on. Yeah. And so it's asking us to invest in this, this, and this. And if you wanted to invest in that, that, and that, well, maybe next season, kid.
0: What do we think about the proto molecule beyond its macguffin I mean, I do think it's interesting that they keep talking about it as extraterrestrial life or, like, some technology of extraterrestrial life, but, I mean, and it kind of makes sense to me because, like, there's no guarantee that we would even understand, like, something from another planet or another civilization.
1: So let's weaponize so, so it. So let's
0: weaponize it, guys. You know, <laughs> if
1: if we could have, like, some blue glowy firefly things, like, floating around, that would be such a wicked nightlight. Is <laughs> something I've thought multiple times <laughs> watching this show.
2: I ended up doing, like, a... Okay, I need to go into the Expanse Wikipedia. Are they doing aliens? Is that what's happening? And that was how I felt. I was like, is this aliens? What is this? And, like, it, it is... Uh, and then it's evolving, and it's weapons, and I'm like, oh, okay. Cool. I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, it's funny because, like, it's aliens, but then Sam has also made the comparison to Alien, like, the film. Mm-hmm. Like, there are ways in which it is somewhat positioned as a xenomorph, even though it's not, like, quite as centralized as an evil as that. Like, especially at the end of season two, when we start getting, like, the hybrid, um, mm-hmm monsters i guess
1: well i all i'm saying is and, and by the way so like all they can think is how can we weaponize it let's like hey there's a proto-molecule experiment on children why is that where you went first i don't know but we should do it no no we're totally gonna do it but can you tell me why that was the first idea you had no okay now yeah so that's season two Here's what I'm waiting for. Proto molecule Adam and Eve is going to be fun.
0: So, you think that's where the Joseph.
1: Yeah, it's going to be like love, proto molecule Adam and Eve. Just hanging out in that big divot in Venus, which, by the way, (laughs) it's Venus.
0: I mean, come on. They could have crashed him into any planet, (laughs) but they
1: chose Venus. I mean, I get it. Do you? Uh, something so that there I you do,
0: are. A scene that I do think about a lot, and I told Sam this too, though, is when they go after the scientist who was responsible for the Eros contamination mm-hmm. and they capture him... And he's trying to talk his way out of it. And he's trying to explain to them what the proto molecule is. And they're like, and he's like, if you kill me, you'll never get access to my data. And it's like really important. And they start to like take him prisoner. And then Miller kills him. And that causes like all of this drama. I think a lot about Miller's explanation, which is very short. But he says, like, I killed him because he was starting to make sense. And like the idea that like, if anyone like that starts to make sense, like you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, like you know, you can't follow them down. Like if somebody's gonna kill a hundred thousand people for a science experiment, you can't follow them down their like rabbit hole of morality. Um, which I, I think about it a lot, probably more than I should. Uh, but I think that that's a really interesting line.
1: Utilitarianism is a fun game until you have to kill lots of people. Until you
0: have to kill lots of people, yeah. And then that's the other, I think, big tension in the show is empathy versus practicality. Because you have characters like Holden and Naomi who are very, like, they're very invested in empathy and they're very invested in, like, helping people and doing the right thing. Um, And then you get characters like Amos and Fred Johnson and Christian who realize that you have to kind of balance some of those things more with practicality. Um what do we think about the tension between those two attitudes in the show?
2: I mean, I think that it's it is the the bedrock upon which the show is trying to be built. Whether yep. whether you find it successful, which I I think in most instances it's pretty successful, but I do think that's kind of where it's trying to like sit and more than more than class, more than like corporations versus government, which as discussed, it's not totally doing. But like more than class or more than like the weird MacGuffin science stuff. Like I think that's the human experience it's trying to examine. But in space.
0: I mean one of the choices that really upset Sam <laughs> at the end of the second season was Holden going after one of the hybrids and Naomi going back to the weeping somnambulus somnambulus yeah never know how to say that name to like help as many people as she can because Sam and found, Sam found that disturbing because she was like I hate it when they split up like crews and families like this it's very it's very disturbing even though they eventually like you know regroup but that scene where she's trying to explain to him like the proto molecule doesn't matter anymore like we can't contain it like it's always going to be here now it's you can't you can't put that cat back into the bag but we can help people right like you are choosing to do something that's not going to help people in the long run but you could choose to do what you can even if it means saving 52 people out of
1: 300 yeah hey hey buddy hey buddy can you pull your script out from like episode like season 1 episode 4 okay now, you remember how you were that and at some point you were soft retconned? I'm going to need to just walk you back to with this part of your character because this doesn't make any sense. And by the way, I'm going to slap you because that's what I should be doing.
0: I mean, but that, that's was a, text though. Well, like, I know, but that was that, like, he's wandered away from what he,
1: I know, but that far.
0: It's a great question.
1: I know. I don't. I, the, I think the show needed to do something and it did it at the expense of its character. So.
0: Well, you don't think that, like, the terrible things he's had to do have had an effect on him?
1: Well, it, if you'll recall, there's a scene between Christian and his mom. <laughs> yeah. That tells us everything we're supposed to need to know about this character and his convictions. I guess the writers forgot about that. Because no, that's not what would happen. Not when you have that much of a base. When the most traumatic thing that happened to you involved you acting on those lessons. The person who is your counterpart now is trying to steer you into that direction. No, I don't believe that he would go in the other direction. <laughs> there's there's no reason to.
2: What do you think, Emily? I think Sam's right like that's kind of the reading I had on Holden in the second half of the season which like I think is why I the the scene the the like scene and sequence of Naomi and Amos doing what they're doing on the weeping weeping synambulance so, so, hmm? however you say that synambulist sure yeah. sleepy dude the, yeah. the, the <laughs> sleepy ship they broke uh... <laughs> I find I find that to be very affecting. I it was like the only, I I I I did done cry like a like a baby when he let her go back on the ship and did all that. I was like, "Whew, all right." But I do think that like I I felt very disconnected from Holden and his choices. Like where I had liked him in the first half of the season with like Miller and like what they're doing in that part of the season, I did feel like he felt much more of like a stock character kind of like we were talking about kind of doing what needed to be done and it does really feel like well there needs to be some kind of tension they need to have some kind of argument and so like even though it doesn't necessarily make sense this is where holden is falling on it despite the fact that naomi is correct
0: what did you think about her choice to give the proto molecule to Fred Johnson at the end of the season?
2: Uh, I Okay. I I don't know that I have fully uh formed a a, a total thought on that other than like <laughs> I need to see what happens now.
0: <laughs> I, well, oh no, it's the right choice if it was the right choice. Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> it I think it it's a choice that I think makes sense for what they've kind of set up and, like, and for the conversation she's having about, like, where her loyalties lie during that season of, like, she very much is a belter in a way that I don't think, like, like we get more of her being a belter and, like, her, more of her kind of loyalties within the community of belters and, like, the leaders, and stuff in season two than we do in season one and i think given what happened at the beginning of of season one where they're on the belt and they're talking to whatever jared harris's character and Fred johnson and like doing all that stuff i think it makes sense that she would do that i don't know that it's the right decision but i also think her rationale of like well they have it and they have it so we should have it too makes Sense for what she's like. I think it makes character sense that she would do that. Is that good? I don't don't know. I don't know if any of it's good. I don't think any of them should have it, but yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If only we could convince all of them
2: to just leave it alone. (laughs) What if we don't mess with the alien thing? (laughs) Question mark.
0: Yeah. What if? What if?
1: Again, you remember what I said to you when they made the comment about. The monkeys beating each other with sticks. Yeah. Which which you remember what I te- said? <laughs> I said we didn't need the other two and a half hours of two thousand one. I mean, that was the whole lesson.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean that's what this is. Yeah. So
0: So everyone has sticks now? Is that what you're trying to I say? I guess. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean the point yeah. is as soon as a stick arrived, what were you gonna do? Not use the stick? Yeah. It's kind of naive on both of their parts.
0: Yeah, I did really enjoy I don't really know what to do with the the other tendril that kind of started to happen in season two, where they send Earth sends the research ship to Venus to figure out like what happened to Eros. And you have like the two scientists that are like it's so funny because they're like they hate each other, but then by the end of the season they're like besties, which is always great. I always enjoy that in a storyline although I'm not completely sure how we got there. there. I'm not sure what that was supposed to do, but I, one of the scientists did, like they're arguing about whether or not extraterrestrial life could exist mm-hmm. and like how much of it there could be and how likely it is that we would encounter it. And one of them actually says, like, what if they're all dead? Like, what if it's the nature of intelligent life to kill kill themselves? And that sounded so Octavia Butler to me that I was like, yeah, why isn't the show about this? Like, I don't understand. Like, like why is this buried in this really strange little subplot that I'm not completely sure why it's here.
2: The, those guys end up dying, don't they? Doesn't the sh- the ship like explodes and they do? Like, it hits the thing. Are they
0: dead though? Well, like, good question.
2: That's a good question.
0: Because yeah. it's the proto molecule. You never know. Like,
2: who knows? I, I did yeah. find that storyline while seemingly very random. I liked those characters. I was like. hmm. Yeah, I would love to know what's going on with you, but even if they do proto molecule stuff, I don't think we'll actually know anything about them.
0: Yeah, it was it was kind of a strange subplot, but like sometimes I kind of like that though, where you're just like, here are two random characters who are just having a conversation about something off topic, um, which I enjoy that. What do we think about where we end season two with the Rossinante? I mean, we've already kind of talked about Naomi um, giving the proto protomolecule to Fred Johnson, but the Rossinante is, I guess, in limbo. I'm not sure how the rest of the crew is going to respond to that, um, but we have the protomolecule hybrids, one of which they kicked off the ship. Are they still human? Like, is, is Prex right? Or are... I mean, we get to see his child is still not one of them, although she is perhaps on her way to being one of them. We're not sure. Sam was pretty convinced that they're actually going to be like allies at some point. Maybe. Maybe. Well, before we finish, I did want to I had this segment originally scheduled for the middle of the episode, but we did this all out of order. Uh, I did want to ask you, Emily, specifically, but I'd love to hear what Sam has to say about this, too. Um, But I know, Emily, you have a lot of background in TV, You work in the industry, you write about it. What would you say like some of the challenges and benefits of adapting this kind of sci fi to the small screen are?
2: I think about this a lot, Uh, not just necessarily for sci fi, but long kind of uh, fantasy I guess to speculative fiction generally I think your benefits are that you depending on how you structure it and how many seasons you end up getting how many episodes you get in a season you can do much like more detailed smaller work theoretically adapting more of it or if you're making adjustments you can make adjustments that don't necessarily feel like completely wild changes just because you have the time versus like if if they were to try to adapt leviathan wakes into which is an almost 600 page book into like a two and a half hour movie who knows what stuff from the first two seasons we actually would have even seen like the focus would have been completely different so like you're able to be more faithful theoretically to the source material whether that ends up being the case or not one of the biggest challenges is a like not knowing not knowing how many necessarily how many episodes you're getting not knowing how many seasons you're going to get so like it could just end in the middle as many which it almost did yeah yeah for this show
0: (laughs) because sci-fi canceled it and then there was a big like save the expanse campaign and then the uh one of the the big shots at amazon is a fan
2: and like purchased it for amazon so (laughs) so like that's always a scary thing but then you also have like the biggest issue which is budget (laughs) as we right that's a big deal for sci-fi especially exactly and some some things i think use budget well and some things don't i think i by the way i think it's Absolutely insane that they were like, "We're going to do CG hair in the first shot of the fucking show," and I was like, "This looks bad." Actually, uh like when she's like floating, yeah, I was like, "Oh no, I hope the rest of the show looks better than this," and it does. Um, I think, yeah, that moment <laughs> where I was like, "Why? Why did you do this?" I know why you did it, but I, why did you do it? <laughs> and it's just like TV, e- even. Even TV on cable or pay cable, streaming, like whatever, your budgets are still so much smaller than they would be on like a feature film. And so you have to be very specific about what stuff you're going to do and how good you want it to look. Um, If you're going to do things practically, if you're going to have practical sets, like those kinds of things are huge considerations. And they can be very big challenges. Especially for uh, sci-fi, which historically, you know, uh, as a network, has (laughs) bad-looking movies Uh, uh. in particular. (laughs) But I actually would say that, like, a lot of sci-fi shows, especially like, of a certain era, actually look a lot better than a lot of other shows on like, broadcast Mm -hmm. networks. Battlestar Galactica, I think still looks good. The camera work is buck wild, but I think the (laughs) <laughs> the vfx and stuff i think still look good and still hold up pretty well uh eureka and warehouse 13 like that stuff looks good there's some rough stuff in there and like obviously time um like when it was made but yeah i think budget is always budget and what network it's on is always going to be like the biggest challenge um for specifically sci-fi and how epic the sci-fi is
0: absolutely sam do you have anything to add to that
1: well, yeah, I do. It, it's funny. I realized the other day I'm kind of, I have this, this what to watch paralysis now when it comes to things we aren't doing for this very podcast because I, for a long time, have realized that I like episodic entertainment more than I do feature film. Right. I like the stories that are told over a longer period of time. It just makes me happier. And, you know, this has obviously been coming to a breaking point for a long time. Uh, But, you know, until we started doing the podcast, I definitely watched more TV than movies, maybe outside of award stuff. But the pandemic cancellations were kind of a breaking point. You know, like, I know I can't trust Netflix past three seasons, but now you're telling me you're going to renew something and then say, never mind. That's a thing you can do now. And so it's like, okay, well, I'll just become, as Tessa said the other day, one of those people that just watches, okay, Criterion released this, this line of films. I'm just going to watch all of those this month you know, but I don't want to, I want to watch TV shows. I want to watch good TV shows, but if I have no faith in the storytelling apparatus now, what am I going to do? And, and it's funny because I'm literally looking at a Hollywood reporter story from two days ago about, uh, you know, renewing and picking up things now so everything's in place so whenever the strike is over they can get started quickly you know stockpiling unscripted which i genuine generally don't like anyway i mean it's like do we just have to keep going and of course the story's coming out today that it's it's paramount i don't remember if it's warner's or not but it's paramount they're making all kinds of money which they were crying poverty when they canceled, when they started canceling things and shuffling stuff off streaming service, they were crying poverty, which is kind of hard to say when you're making money. Not money, profit, I should say. Yeah. And, and I know you know more about this than I do, and you're more invested in it than I am for very legitimate reasons, but it's just like, come on. Like, I get that sci fi canceled The Expanse and Winona Earp, and we can talk about whether or not those are justified decisions or not. I think there's an argument to be made for the justification even if I don't agree with it. But in the number of years since that happened, I'm pretty sure we gotten to a point where you can't even justify these decisions anymore. And it's like what do I want? What how do I want to be involved in this kind of storytelling? Right? I don't know. I mean it's bleeding over into the MCU too. It's happening in movies too. Yeah, it is. You know, right, with the with the VFX stuff and yeah. firing your VFX person because they made a cool little foreign film about Argentina, like, I don't know. Should I watch anything anymore?
0: <laughs> this is always a question. Like, yeah. I, Should
1: I even start, wa- like, we started watching Columbo. Should I start watching that? Because Peacock could just decide to banish it forever, right?
0: Yeah. It's,
1: that was a, a lot. I'm sorry. There's
2: a lot, there's a lot of stuff about TV recently that, that is genuinely <laughs> concerning. Yeah. I mean we as someone who is like working in television i work in post production um on a disney well i'm on an fx show right now but um they're they fired like or they're in the process of firing like 7000 people from disney um which is like new like people know that it came out yep um they've they fired a bunch of big people but they're probably also going to fire a bunch of smaller people and like that plus the writer's strike that's, I, I think, going to happen.
1: It's going to happen, <laughs> right? That's the way everybody talks about it now. Yeah. Like, it was always inevitable. Yeah,
2: well, and I think it makes sense that it's going to happen because it's going to be about mm-hmm. streaming in the same way that, right. like, the the last strike, because the 2007-2008 writer's strike was mm-hmm. the last actual, like, strike in the industry. We got very close mm-hmm. last year with IOTC. IOTC almost striked they right. they voted to authorize a strike but it didn't end up mm-hmm. happening and that was about set set safety because of the shooting on rust among other things oh okay um, okay and then the writer strike this year if it happens i think it will is primarily going to be about streaming rights and residuals on streaming rights and all the stuff that is happening all this nonsense that warner brothers that everyone is doing but warner brothers very didn't start it but very loudly was doing a bunch of that nonsense um
1: you can swear on this podcast so you can say zazlop it's fine
2: (laughs) i fucking hate that man um
1: (laughs) (laughs) so say we all
2: yeah well you know (laughs) Uh, it was i when that stuff was happening initially at wb i was working on an hbo max show and mm-hmm. we, we were, it was, it's a mini series. It, co- it comes out at the end of the month. It's called Love and Death. But we were uncertain. We were like, is this going to come out? They, like, are we, are, are we coming out? Like, we didn't have air dates. We didn't know. And we were like, is it coming out or is it just going to get absolutely canned and we're never going to see it again? Like, we're going to continue working like, like everything is fine because as mm-hmm. far as we know, everything is fine. And theoretically, everything is fine, but we're never gonna see a physical release of that show, probably because mm-hmm. it's a streaming show. And I'm like, they could say fuck it and take it off the streaming platform after it airs and write it off as a tax mm-hmm. like loss. And it, uh, that feels shitty and I don't like it. I don't like what's happening in the industry right now.
1: What does it mean that a show like it, The Expanse? You know, was canceled for reasons, some of which must have been good or at least justifiable. And the reason we had three more seasons is, as Tessa said, ultimately, somebody very high up at Amazon liked that show. And what that says is television is a business. Nobody ever said it wasn't, I don't think. But... The reason The Expanse was saved was because it's also entertainment. And so what it seems like to me that the big problem here is that as of last year with Sazlov, et al, they are starting to say their quiet part out loud, which is programming is not to them at all entertainment. It's all business. and And that's bad, right? I mean, like, We can, we can say that our entertainment is their business, but they're not saying their business is our entertainment anymore. They completely have divorced that. That's what it seems like. It seems like that's a big part of where we've gotten. I'm sure there's more to it, but to me sitting here, that's what it feels like.
2: I mean, I, I would agree with that. And I think also the inability for some things to even be accessible anymore to mm-hmm. any degree is also deeply distressing to me to that end that like something like mrs fletcher which i only say because i have the right over here but like that was a <laughs> uh, yeah like that doesn't that never got a physical release it came out mm-hmm. and then it went away and mm-hmm. no one will ever see that show again they cannot put that show out uh the the
1: I mean, I didn't think it was that good, but I I take your point. But
2: like, no, but they're doing that with lots. I would have watched more
1: episodes. Yeah, you're right. right.
2: Um, (laughs) and that like that that is part of the the business. That that is part of the money equation. Is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we made this thing and we spent millions of dollars on it, and especially something like like pay cable, like HBO, doesn't necessarily make money in the same ways that broadcast makes money with advertising. I understand broadcast when they cancel things or or even like cable like AMC or like that kind of thing when they're canceling things that are also airing on the network. Those are all things that are subsidized by ad revenue. Like those shows are able to be made because money is made off of advertising. And you're like, "Okay, great. So we can have our artistic like entertainment situation" and you're making money, or it's breaking even, or, like, whatever. But, like, cable cable doesn't, like, or pay cable and streaming doesn't necessarily work that way, although they are doing paid, like, parts of it. Like, very weird. I'm like, I don't I don't want fucking ads on Netflix. Be fucking for real right now. But, like, <laughs> that, I don't know. Like, yeah, it just, like, the it is the quiet part loud of, like, not only is it not... Do we not actually view it as entertainment, despite the fact that, like, that is the sleek understanding of what we as a pay cable network are doing? Because you don't understand how we make the money to make the shows in any kind of transparent mm-hmm. way. But, like, they're also like, and now you will never get to see it again or various things. Mm hmm.
0: And a lot of it's to avoid paying stuff like residuals as well, you know, yep. which feels like it very much feels like the Netflix thing of only having things for three seasons so they can avoid paying, yep. um, you know, their, their people. So yeah, it feels very, it feels very corporatized and it feels very commodified well, to, to um, bring it back very much like art
1: to bring it back to the expanse. As you find out toward the end of season two, there's that scene where uh, Martian Roberta, is talking to the would-be doctor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it turns out one of the problems on Earth is they just can't produce enough jobs. Well, my friend, I'm sure there's something more to that story. And, you know, the thing about it is I find it very tough to believe, and you may have a vested interest in this, Emily, Mm. but I find it very hard to believe that the business of making television it's a business that employs a lot of people in a lot of different ways and that is to the that is an overall net good in a capitalist society where people have to be able to buy things and so you know when you refuse to pay or cancel so you don't have to pay or write off so you don't have to pay you're basically saying i live outside of the system I have so much money, I don't have to care about you. Where if you just stopped and thought about it for the fact, the more people who are able to work and able to do things, just generally the better for there are very few negative reasons.
0: That's not the country we live in anymore. We live in hoarding wealth. Right, but that's now. actually, but that's <laughs> Which actually is part of this. Yeah.
1: But that's actually capitalism. Yeah. Right. And, and the expanse. Shows us on Earth that they don't care about that for the same reason. Yeah, absolutely. Except in the world of Expanse, they actually have some sort of universal basic income. (laughs) It's like worse, but somehow better than what we have right now?
2: Question mark? Question mark.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's It's interesting to talk about because The Expanse is a very notable show because of the business side. Yes. So uh, it's interesting to talk about, not just because you're here with us and you can actually provide a perspective on that, but it does make sense within the world of this show. And just, wow, in, in just a few years, what would have happened with this show had it been in the same spot it had been at the end of season three? How quickly things have changed?
0: Yeah. Who knows if we'd gotten another season, if it was canceled now at the end of the third season?
2: Who knows? I don't think we would have.
0: Any final? Yeah. I don't know if we would have. Um, that is absolutely right. Any final thoughts on The Expanse? (laughs) Are you going to keep watching, Emily?
2: I am. I'm probably going to watch it slower than I was maybe watching it for this, but I am very interested in it. My friend, okay, my friend who mentioned, um, who told me about the, the Cass Anvar thing also was like, Amos may be doing bisexual stuff. And I was like, excuse me? What are you talking about?
0: I mean, I think that's kind of hinted at from like mm-hmm. the very beginning. Like, yeah. um, because one of the really surprising but wonderful things about Amos is that he's pro-sex worker because he like grew up in a brothel, yeah. I guess, uh, which is like both surprising and very endearing at the same time. But he definitely gets like approached by both men and women yeah. like in this show. So I'm
2: like, mm, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what's going right. on. So yeah, yep. <laughs> I will keep watching it. Who knows how fast, but yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, same. And it, I mean, we've caught up to where Tessa originally watched it way back when we talked about it on an earlier episode. So it'll be fun to continue watching that together. I think, I think I have sold her on eventually starting Battlestar. Oh yeah.
0: I'm, right? I'm into, I'm interested. I'm interested. If it's yeah. kind of like this, yeah. Between now, this and Star Trek,
1: yeah, well, right, right, Star Trek. Well, I'll be watching Star Trek until I die at this point. No, I meant
0: like this show. Like, is Battlestar Galactica closer to the Expanse oh, or closer to Star Trek, or is it
2: somewhere the maybe?
1: Expanse? It's actually closer to Star Wars in a way. Yeah, like if you if you had like a like a triangle act like a like an axis, that's like a triangle. And the expanse, Star Trek, and Star Wars were three points. Mm-hmm. It would be farthest away from Star Trek.
2: Okay, all right, yeah, right, yeah,
0: I think so.
1: In, in yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: you you've probably convinced me to watch it though.
1: It's a good show. All uh right. but oh, before ahead. okay, before we let you go, Emily, yeah. I want to know uh, are, what are you what are you watching. Oh, what yeah. have you been watching lately? What have you been watching? What's lately? good? Give
2: us some TV stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh lord, um, I've been watching. I mean, the stuff that we're currently we're currently watching, Mandalorian, as is prescribed from on high. Mm-hmm. I think it's right, fine. I don't know. I'm 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 disjointed from Star Wars overall. My boyfriend is very. Popular. I think
1: the Mandalorian is disjointed from Star Wars too. <laughs> mm,
2: yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a good, good, good description.
2: And then we've been watching Ted Lasso as it's been airing, which I'm finding Mm -hmm. lovely, of course. Yeah. As always. Yeah. And we're doing Perry Mason. I love Perry Mason. I love that. The the new one, I assume. Yes.
1: We could have said the old one, too. It would have been fine. Is it? I I watched the first two episodes of the first season. Mm -hmm. I should have kept going, question mark.
2: I really enjoy it. I do think okay. the the story the like the thing that he's trying to like solve in the mm-hmm. second season I I think is much more approachable in terms of like mm-hmm. things that we would recognize. I think the the religious stuff that Tatiana Maslany is like doing in the first season is like fine but kind of weird. <laughs> and I think it's much more like normal like they're just doing a, a regular old murder trial that probably has some political what? corruption rather than a baby okay. died and religion. And you're like, okay. Um, so I would say, I mean, if you liked the first like couple episodes, finish it. And then like this season has been much more like regular. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I watched the pilot of the power last night. Also an Amazon show. Don't watch that. It's fine don't okay. watch that, yeah,
0: I'm not gonna lie. it I don't know anything about it beyond seeing like the trailer for it mm-hmm. while we were about to watch John Wick four. But it was giving gender plague storyline to me,
2: correct, <laughs> okay. <laughs> here's here's something I learned because this morning, I was recording my podcast for Movie John, and my my co-host and I had both watched it so we could talk about it. And she was like, did you know that Naomi Alderman, who wrote the book, was Margaret Atwood's, like, protege? And I was like, that makes every sense in the world.
0: Yep, yep. No, for you do not have to explain anything more about this show, "Hmm." actually. Uh,
1: Okay, that's the show with the guy from Ted Lasso. Okay, I do remember seeing that now. Uh, Okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, Um, Got it. That was my initial, like, oh, he's in this. I should watch it. And then the longer the trailer went on, I was like.
1: Or maybe not. Yeah, I
2: was like, "Mm." I don't know about this. I was like, this is all right, fine, and I'm I'm not compelled to watch any more of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, just kind of that, and then I'm gonna probably start the next season of Star Trek that I need to, or the next series of Star Trek I need to watch soon. But
0: yeah, uh, question: Did you watch Poker Face?
2: I okay. I watched the pilot Poker Face. I need to keep going with it. I really liked the pilot. I just like. Mm I'm working on a show right now and we are ramped all the we've been ramped up for like two months <laughs> and I'm like,
0: yeah, makes
2: sense. Uh. Oh, I did watch uh, the Scream TV show because I wrote a retrospective about yeah. Scream.
1: Uh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bad.
2: Don't watch it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> also good to know. The third the third season is completely separate and it's only six episodes and it actually has Ghostface in it and it's much better. It's more interesting. But the first two seasons are question mark. What is this? So, yeah.
0: And they don't have ghost face? No. And they call themselves a scream show?
2: Correct. Yeah. I was like, Mm. I don't like that.
0: Suspect. Yeah. Suspect. Mm. Thank you for joining us, Emily. Of course. Next time, Matt joins us for a Verhoeven episode. We've been teasing this episode for a while. Matt's gonna be on. We're gonna watch four Verhoeven films. We are they gonna somehow talk. We are gonna into four listen, Verhoeven films.
1: We are gonna stay in space with Starship Troopers. Oh yeah. But 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 we're gonna get weird because we're also talking about RoboCop and Showgirls
0: and L we
1: and L, L because movies. because Matt and I have well okay so here's what happened I haven't <laughs> seen Starship Troopers. Neither Matt nor I have seen Elle. Tessa hasn't seen RoboCop, which, you know, sci-fi Android person work, over here I needs know. to see that. But how can you not take this opportunity to talk about Showgirls? I mean, the little, the little NC-17 show with Jesse Spano that could.
0: <laughs> so we are definitely looking forward to that. Where can people find us? Emily, where can people find you online and in their
2: headphones? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Mazer, And you can listen to me every other week with my best friend Megan talk about TV on the Movie John Podcast Network. Our show is called Someday Will Be Syndicated.
0: Sam, where can people find you?
1: You can find me. On Twitter, at Sam underscore Morris 9. You you could also find me on Letterboxd and Storygraph at Melody Valentine.
0: You can find me on Twitter, Storygraph and Letterboxd at The By Paradox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. You can also find writing from both Sam and I on Movie John um, and from Emily on Movie John, as, as before mentioned. That's moviejawn.com. We'd like to know your thoughts on The Expanse or what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes. You can find us on Twitter at monkeybacklog and on our Discord community linked in the show notes. You can also email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please take a moment to rate or review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.